KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego, offering the online Master of Data Science program, a journey through computation, data analysis, and real-world applications. Learn more about the online Master of Data Science program from UC San Diego at omds.ucsd.edu. Good morning. I'm Annika Colbert. It's Tuesday, March 8th. Gas prices and rideshare drivers. More on that next, but first, let's do the headlines. San Diego Unified has a new superintendent. The district announced on Monday that interim superintendent Dr. Lamont Jackson would be given the job permanently. He's replacing Cindy Martin, who resigned after becoming deputy secretary of the U.S. Department of Education. Dr. Lamont Jackson was a student in the district and has worked as a teacher, principal, and area superintendent over the past 30 years. Here's Dr. Jackson. Uh, we will continue to uh, pursue Uh, the idea of closing the achievement gap by creating a system that is anti-bias and anti-racist. We will focus on effective teaching and learning and leading. The Board of Trustees will ratify his new contract at their meeting on March 22nd. San Diego State University changed its masking policy on Monday. Students will no longer have to wear them at indoor events and meetings. However, they will still have to wear masks when inside the classroom and other instructional areas. The change came after the CDC designated San Diego's COVID transmission rate as low last Thursday. San Diego Unified Board of Education Vice President Sabrina Bazo says that's the same reason that San Diego Unified announced it's lifting its mask mandate next month. Mayor Todd Gloria on Monday announced that seven proposed affordable housing projects are being recommended for funding under a new program called Bridge to Home. The seven projects would build 662 apartments in the city and areas like San Isidro, downtown, and the East Village. From KPBS, you're listening to San Diego News Now. Stay with me for more of the local news you need. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year, we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, We've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. Gas prices are over $5 a gallon at most San Diego gas stations. And while most of us complain about paying that much at the pump, people who drive for a living are hurting the most. KPBS reporter Katie Alvarado spent the day with a rideshare driver who says gas prices will force many to quit the job altogether. It's the dreaded moment of the day. It's gonna hurt. Tanya Edisvall has been a rideshare driver for five years, but this is the first time she's ever had to pay almost $6 for a gallon of gasoline. The gas is $5.78. 
that's insane amount of money that's that's twice as much as it was when i started driving five years ago and i'm making half the money i used to fill up my tank for about 32 dollars around there now it's over 50 dollars to fill up the the tank of gas so of course everything you're earning just eats into that According to AAA, gas prices in San Diego County set records nearly every single day. The average price for a gallon of gas is 55 cents more than a week ago. Edisville says rideshare drivers are on the edge. I hear a lot of uh, anger out there. There's a lot of drivers who want to strike. There's uh, a lot of frustration. And I even talked to a driver that's living in his car. She says most people have a misconception that when they pay a high rate, she's pocketing a big part of it. That's not the case. And I had a passenger that uh, was very upset that he paid $85 for his ride. And I said, wow, that's a lot. And uh, what do you think I got? 18 $18 out of 85 So it's really, really tough. And it makes it harder to justify going out late at night, picking up people who are drunk when you don't get paid good money. She says she got into the business for the flexibility, the same flexibility that companies like Uber and Lyft tout. But inflation and gas prices that climb by the hour are squeezing her dry. When everything increases in price, the gas increases, everything around you, your rent, your food, then and you can't pay your rent and you can't pay for your food, then where's the flexibility in that? There's no flexibility in being poor. You got to get every last drop with this kind of pricing, you know? Kitty Alvarado, KPBS News. At least 90,000 restaurants and bars across the country have closed since the beginning of the pandemic. That's according to the Independent Restaurant Coalition. And while the recent drop in COVID-19 infections is encouraging, new variants and future waves are not out of the question. The California Report's Keith Mizuguchi says all that uncertainty has restaurant owners on edge. The Newsom administration says it's still focused on getting people vaccinated and boosted and making sure hospitals are prepared in case there's another surge. But gone are the days of a full lockdown of businesses. That's welcome news for Evan Rich, chef and owner of Rich Table in San Francisco. In the restaurant industry, we're all accustomed to, we do this for the love and business is secondary and we don't think about money and all that stuff. But in reality, we run a business and need to make sure, you know, people's livelihoods are dependent on us paying them and staying open. Rich says that if there's anything the pandemic has taught him over the last two years, it's that the restaurant industry has to be flexible. So while he's pleased that California is moving into this new phase, he's already making plans for how to respond if things get worse. Having the ability to kind of make choices on the fly to adjust your business is kind of what we've learned. Rich Table was one of many restaurants in California that decided to close at the height of the Omicron surge. And it meant thousands of dollars in lost revenue during one of the busiest times of the year. Add that to the massive amounts of debt bars and restaurants have accumulated during the pandemic, and many say they are now at risk of closure. A recent survey of independently owned bars and restaurants that applied for federal funding but were denied, about two in three, found 80% would be forced to close permanently if they don't get financial relief soon. Silicon Valley Congressman Ro Khanna says that's simply unacceptable. Everyone knows one of their favorite restaurants, which is closed. We can't have that in this country. We need to provide 
uh, restaurants with help. In late January, Kana introduced his own legislation that would offer small businesses like mom-and-pop restaurants tax credits to offset a portion of state and local taxes. He hopes it can be part of a larger budget package that's being negotiated right now in Washington. Small businesses, small restaurants, these brick-and-mortar stores, these are my priority when we look at who deserves relief. It's not just financial survival that has restaurant owners on edge. It's also the ever-changing rules put in place for how they can remain open and operate safely. Health and Human Services Secretary Mark Galley has said that while the state is lifting its masking requirement for indoor businesses, health officials could go back to enforcing it if the virus surges once again. For Evan Rich, he's recommending not requiring that his employees wear face coverings, but he understands that a lot will depend on a person's comfort level. We're all adults here, so I want to make sure that everyone understands the risk. And as long as they feel comfortable with it, I am. And, you know, I, I take my health into my own hands and I, you know, respect the fact that they do as well. When it comes to financial relief, Rich says he's hoping he'll receive federal funding this time around. But if it doesn't happen, he'll have to find a way to move forward. And that could mean making some changes, like paring down his menu or adjusting what kinds of ingredients he's able to offer his customers. Congress's deadline to pass a budget for the fiscal year is March 11th. And that was The California Report's Keith Mizuguchi. The largest corruption scandal in Navy history is in court. KPBS military reporter Steve Walsh says prosecutors say the man they called Fat Leonard seduced the 7th Fleet. In 2015, Leonard Glenn Francis pleaded guilty to overcharging the Navy millions of dollars to berth ships around the Western Pacific. The last five naval officers charged with helping him are now on trial. Tom Wright talked to Francis for the podcast Fat Leonard. In the Philippines, they'd get off. You know, they'd have these crazy parties with carousels of prostitutes and nonstop drinking. They'd share photos of, of the women afterwards. They'd, they'd talk crudely about women. All this kind of stuff is in the indictments. During opening arguments, attorneys for the five officers, including retired Rear Admiral Bruce Loveless, say their clients didn't have the power to steer Navy contracts to Francis the way prosecutors allege. Steve Walsh, KPBS News. Cardiff State Beach is getting an extra helping of sand this week. Caltrans and Sandag crews are dredging the sand from the San Alijo Lagoon, and it's being piped over to Cardiff. Kim Smith with Sandag says the project benefits Cardiff Beach visitors and the natural habitats of San Alijo Lagoon. It's good for the grunion, it's good for the invertebrates, so there's a lot of good benefits by us putting the the sand on the beach. The beach will remain open, but nearby residents and businesses may expect an increase in traffic, construction activity, and traffic control signs. Dredging is ongoing for 24 hours, and hauling will take place Monday through Friday from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. The project is expected to be completed by April. Coming up, what does it mean to be woke? We'll bring you the answer just after the break.
Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year, we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, we've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. Over the past two years, conversations about race, gender, and equity have become more mainstream, and in some cases, more contentious. That's why KPBS Race and Equity reporter Christina Kim has been collecting your questions as part of a series we're calling Let's Talk About. Mike Milton is a retired Navy man. He's white, and he considers himself a lefty. Oh, definitely left. Politically speaking, that is. He says he pays attention to the news and current affairs, but lately there's one word he's been hearing a lot that's got him scratching his head. Woke ideology. The woke world gone wild. Woke capitalism. That ship, I think, might have sailed. It's a word he mostly hears used by conservative media outlets, and he's not sure what it means. What is it about woke or wokeness? The definition of that. The truth is the word woke has lived many lives and iterations. Right around the early 1960s, 70s, when uh, you had a lot of black power movements and kind of civil rights issues going on at that time, uh, it wasn't called woke, it was called consciousness. That's Dr. Damarie Smith. He's a professor of rhetoric and media studies at San Diego State University. All to say, he's the person to talk to when it comes to understanding how words like woke have changed over the years. At that time, Black people particularly started thinking about what are the ways in which our government is not necessarily protecting us as citizens. Smith says woke, as he knows it and uses it, is really about connecting the dots. So woke to me means basically having a consciousness about some of the systemic issues that are taking place that have unintended consequences that kind of seem as though it may be a good thing. But again, there's things that we're not necessarily thinking about. For instance, he says being woke is questioning what's being taught in schools. So when a student goes to school, um, particularly at the college level, we have to ask ourselves if they're not in ethnic studies or black studies, How are they being exposed to the realities and the sensibilities of different racial groups? And recognizing the power dynamics behind what's being taught. And a lot of our curriculum is that it's primarily focused on uh, white folks' perspective and also just Greco-Roman tradition. According to Smith, the word woke started to become more mainstream around 2015, with more people using it that didn't know the word's origins. The everyday white folks, as I would say, and uh, they started kind of using that terminology about, you know, oh, I'm woke, I'm woke, I'm white, but I'm woke, you know what I mean? which is when the word started to change and become less a way of thinking and more like a badge to signal to other people that you weren't racist. Yeah, it definitely changes significance because 
those folks who will say I'm woke, uh, particularly in public situations, are still the kind of people that will walk past black people and not speak to them and say hello or anything like that. Fast forward to today, where woke is being used by conservative media outlets to describe just about everything from criminal justice issues to education. You know, like all words, they can be weaponized. In this context, woke has become a catch-all for anything deemed progressive or inclusive. The problem when you hear woke, I would say at least for Fox News, they kind of see it as more like anything that they don't deem is correct, it's considered woke. And that's how Mike Milton first heard of the word woke, light years away from its original meaning. I called him back up and shared this story with him to see what he thought. This educated me that it goes back not just to the, whatever that was, 90s or early 2000s, but back to the 60s and early 70s. Smith anticipates we'll be hearing woke a lot this election year. And he hopes more people think deeply about how the word has and is being used. And that was KPBS race and equity reporter Christina Kim. You can send in your questions about race, gender and equity by calling 619-630-8516 and leaving a message. Karama is a nonprofit organization made up of Arab and non Arab members. This Friday, the organization kicks off its 11th annual Arab Film Festival. KPBS film critic Beth Akamando has this preview. Karama focuses on issues of the Arab and Islamic world with a special emphasis on Palestine. President Larry Christian says in 2012, the group launched a film festival with specific goals. The celebration of Arab culture and a sign of pride for the local community and to reach out to the broader community to show what the Arab community really is. Film is a really good medium for showing humanity. And that's why film is an excellent medium to challenge stereotypes. It can also offer different perspectives on histories we may think we know. Heliopolis looks to Algerian resistance to French colonialism in 1945, while Trapped focuses on women from diverse social backgrounds who find themselves caught up in the turmoil of the early days of the 2011 Egyptian Revolution. The festival opens Friday night with the Palestinian film The Stranger, set in the occupied Golan Heights. Christian says it touches on timely issues. There are occupations and annexations that happen in Europe that are widely condemned, and those that happen in the Arab world that are accepted and recognized even by the U.S. The festival showcases films that not only address global issues, but which also look to smaller, more personal stories. Karama's Arab Film Festival runs the next three weekends in person at the Museum of Photographic Arts, with a program of shorts running online. Beth Akamondo, KPBS News. And that's it for the podcast today. As always, you can find more San Diego news online at kpbs.org. I'm Annika Colbert. Thanks for listening and have a great day.
KPBS On Demand is supported by the San Diego County Toyota dealers, whose commitment to customers extends to giving back to the community and who are proud to support the City of San Diego lifeguards with their important role of keeping our beaches safe. Toyota, let's go places.